0: Good morning, everyone. Great to see you guys. Hey, before we jump into our brand new series, i got to say a very special welcome to Carla Beth's family who are here with us today. Your grandparents, parents, (laughs) sister, brother-in-law, they're all here today. Wonderful to have them here. They're typically watching at home online, but they're able to be here today in person, so we feel real honored that they are with us today. Hey, welcome to a brand new series called Silent Killers. We thought we'd start with something really positive as we enter into the Thanksgiving and Christmas season, so we just wanted to encourage you today. So we're jumping into this. Now, I'm looking forward to this over the next few weeks. We are going to discuss a variety of killers lurking in the background of our lives, slowly sucking the life and energy out of us. And often we have no idea these killers are present. In fact, some are so silent, so quiet, so unnoticeable, we fight our neighbor thinking that somehow he's the problem, she's the problem, when the neighbor's not the problem. Uh, it's the silent assassins that have taken up residence in our lives, wreaking havoc. And This series is going to explore and do the best we can over the next few weeks to remove, or at least begin to remove, some of those things that is messing up our lives Now, if you were with us over the last few weeks for our Habit series, then some of what I say today and throughout this series will be an extension of what we talked about in the Habit series, especially the beginning of today's message. It's going to sound similar to last week, but uh, its reason is because what we're doing is we're taking that entire subject that we talked about over the last few weeks and slicing it a little thinner, so we're going to go deeper into some of the things we talked about over the last four weeks, and you'll see as we get into it. So if at all possible, don't miss one week because today is going to build on next week and next week's going to build on the week after that. So if you can, please try to commit yourself to the next four weeks to be here and be ready to learn and grow. All right. I want you to listen as I describe a lot of how we experience life. We hear a sermon or a speech, or someone suggests the latest and greatest self help book, and we quickly read it. Or we watch a movie about someone overcoming amazing obstacles, and we set out to accomplish something similar. We finally come to terms with our addictions, our failing marriages, depression, overeating affairs, or whatevers. We clean ourselves up, we admit our need, we go to a therapist, a doctor, a pastor, a life coach a man sitting in a van down by the lake, you know, somebody, and we try to get ourselves cleaned out. Uh, We begin to follow Christ. We begin to take notes and learn and do devotions and prayer each day and all the things that go with that. When we do, we repent, we pour out our alcohol, break up with our mistress, begin the medication, delete our text messages and photos, and experience success for a while. And depending on a variety of different things at play, personality, support, money, discipline, we stay on the straight and narrow for a certain amount of time. But at some point, the inspiration wanes, the strength fades, the discipline stops, the support fails, and the things we tried to escape begin to pull us back down. We find ourselves uh, wanting to pull into the ABC store rather than driving by it. We feel ourselves being tugged back into the vortex of the addiction again. We ignored her call for the last few weeks, but now when she calls, we want to answer the phone. Dust is collecting on our Bibles again. We can't remember the last time we prayed over anything other than our meals. The arguing is escalating again at home, on and on. Change up the details, and I'm talking about you. Change up the details, and I'm talking about someone you know. And eventually, we end up exactly where we started. And a lot of us conclude, I guess I just don't have what it takes. This God thing is not working for me. I'm a failure. I'll never change. I guess some people don't make it, people like me. So you run back to the pain meds, back to the affair, the food, the depression, the drinking, the mood swings, the new marriage, the workaholism, the angry outburst, whatever. It's back to the mess Because you don't believe you can ever be clean. Then you read a new book, hear a new sermon, watch a new movie, listen to a new TED Talk, watch a television show, whatever, and the process starts all back over again. You you know how I know that process? I've lived it. No, I don't mean that I've lived everything I listed, but I mean the system the up and down, the success, the failure, the turning over a new leaf, the hope and desperation, the victory and defeat, this and that. I have been there. I have lived it. That's how I can talk about it. And I suspect many of you have too. In fact, I guess there are people watching online right now who say, you know what? He's talking about me right there. That's how I've lived the last 10 years of my life or 20 years of life, my life. In fact, here's what a lot of our daily lives look like. I didn't know how else to describe it, so I kind of put it up here like this. We, we have this Monday, and, and, and things are not too good we got a lot of bad things happening in our life. we got a couple of good things, but we got a whole lot of bad things. And I left them blank so you can fill them in with whatever it is you struggle with, whatever it is you battle, whatever it is you have a hard time controlling in your life. And you go through Monday, you go through Tuesday, you go through Wednesday like that. Maybe this represents a month. Maybe it represents a season of your life. Things are just not looking too good. Your bad is outweighing your good. And then all of a sudden, You have a prayer, you come to church, you read the book, you do the things that I just said a moment ago, and everything kind of flips to the other side and all of a sudden you're disciplined and you come to church on a consistent basis and you put up that thing, whatever that thing is that you struggle with and your marriage seems a little bit better and your finances seem to be doing a little bit better and everything is looking up for a while and then all of a sudden the whole thing tilts back and then you're back into the bad behaviors and the bad attitudes and the marriage goes, and you just kind of live your life like this all the time and it just depends on the season, it just depends on what's going on. That's how you have lived your life for a long time. I get it. I've been there. And people say, Well, Scott, which one of those is me? They're both you. They're both me. But we aren't familiar enough with ourselves to know why. And I'm going to hit that word, why, over and over and over again today. We, we don't know why we go up and down and why we get discouraged and why we return to whatever it is that we use to escape. And if you grew up in a particular kind of church environment, what you do when you had that bad season, what you do when things are not going too good for you is you blame yourself. You are the monster, and that environment, you were taught, that religious, that church environment, you were taught that you do what you do because of sin, and if you were not such a bad sinner, you wouldn't do the things that you do. If you weren't such a rebellious uh, person against God, then you wouldn't fight against God, and you, know, you would do more of what God wants. Basically, religion says you're the problem. And I want you to hear me well as we get into this series. I am not removing responsibility, nor am I saying we don't commit sin. We do. I am not implying that a lot of the mess in our lives isn't a result of disobedience to truth or willingness on our part to sin. It is. We sin. We screw up. We disobey. We make a mess of our lives. I'm not removing responsibility from that. What I am saying today and throughout this series is this more complicated than that. And I am, a, I am tired of simple, thin, hollow answers offered for complicated, thick, complex questions. The church can do better. Let me explain, all right? I want, I want you to just kind of walk this through with me. Why, why, that's the big word I'm hitting on today, why? Why does a man and woman fall in love Get married, build a home, start a family, celebrate Christmas and birthdays, make hundreds of memories, and mess everything up by jumping in bed with someone else and then fight each other through divorce. Why? I, we, we all know what happens. We can point to people. We can look in the mirror. That's the, my, my question is, why does that happen? Well, Because he had an affair. I know, I know, the, I know the details, but why? that he had the affair. Because she was difficult. I know that's what you believe, and maybe she is, but why is that true? Why does a person buy alcohol and drink until they're in a stupor? Why are people addicted to pain meds? Why do people find sexual gratification from a computer screen rather than from a real person to whom they are committed? Why? Why? Why do people use their credit cards for things they cannot afford and get themselves strapped until they cannot breathe financially? Why are we judgmental, inconsistent, fearful, anxious, unhappy, stressed? We know these things happen every single day. They happen within our family and our friend circles. In fact, they happen so often, we're not even surprised anymore. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, yeah, 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 no, it's sad, isn't it? Everybody seems to be struggling today. Did you hear about this? Oh, yeah, did you hear about that? And we're always one-upping somebody else's story of somebody who's messed up their entire life. And for some of us, we're the ones who did it. But why? What's going on? Let's turn to a few questions the New Testament authors ask that kind of mirrors what I'm talking about. Paul, Paul the Apostle, the great Paul, in the New Testament. After struggling through confusing behaviors and sinful choices in his own life, listen to what he asks. I'm miserable. I'm a miserable human being. Who will deliver me from this dead corpse? Paul, speaking to Christians in Galatia, Christians who were wishy-washy, following Jesus and then not following Jesus, holding to the law and then holding to grace. And Paul comes in and says, you irrational Galatians, who put a spell on you? speaking to the same Christians in Galatia. Uh, he, he says to them, you were running well. Who stopped you from obeying the truth? These are the same kind of questions we ask ourselves. Just bring those questions into the modern world. We sometimes look ourselves in the mirror and we say, Scott, why did you do what you did? Then you pray, who is going to deliver me from this dead trap? It's the same thing Paul said. We look at a few of our friends and we say, what is wrong with you? Why couldn't you be faithful to your husband? Why couldn't you be faithful to your wife? It was almost like you were under a spell. It's the same thing Paul said. We want to look at our kids or our best friends or our spouses and we want to say, you were doing so good. What happened? Here's what I know, okay? We are confused about ourselves and we are confused about one another. And Paul had to learn these things. He didn't know them at the beginning. That's why Romans chapter 7 talks about the struggle he had. And then in Romans 8, he talks about the freedom he began to experience. It's why he comes into the into Galatians and, and, and challenges these Christians. They didn't understand how to not be wishy-washy. They had to learn it over time. No one knows freedom at first. We must learn. John the Apostle. If you know anything about John the Apostle in the New Testament, he's referred to as the Apostle of love known for his immense commitment and rich teachings on love, but he wasn't always loving. What you may not know about John the Apostle, it was before he was referred to as the Apostle of Love, he was known as a son of thunder. You know why? Because he wanted to call fire down and consume those he thought opposed Jesus. So he went from son of thunder to apostle of love. He had to learn to love. Peter, he had to learn humility. He wrote the well known passage about how God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, but he wasn't always known for his humility. If you've followed Peter throughout the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, you'll see he often was filled with pride and put his foot in his mouth. So he was not known as an apostle of humility, but yet he writes about humility. So the question is why do we do what we do? And why do we not do other things? That's a great question. And straight up, let me just. Cut through it. We do it because we're not whole. We're fragmented. We're splintered. I want you to listen to me very carefully as I walk you through this. Many of us have things, silent killers, operating in the background of our lives, far below what we see. We have beliefs that we carry that are not based in reality. We have stories we were told about ourselves that are not true. We have stories about our families that we keep from generation to generation to generation, and we fulfill those stories, and those stories need to be kicked out because they aren't true, but we believe them. We have incorrect ideas about people. We have false ideas about God. We have reached conclusions about life based on knowledge that we were given years ago, and that knowledge is false. But because we believe it, it affects everything we do. It's like a script. And we just follow the script, but the script is not based on truth. It's why Christ tells us you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's why we're told over and over again to have our minds renewed. It's why we're always instructed to have our eyes open. Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts might become open so that we could see what reality is. That's why you do what you shouldn't do and why you don't do what you should do because all these things are in the background of our lives. There are things going on inside you, underneath you, above you, but you're not perceptive enough to notice. And what makes this topic so challenging for me to present, for me to learn, and for me to teach is that perception requires time and attention, You see, you will never go deep if you go fast. And you're never going to hear the still small voice of truth if your environment is always loud. The subject in this series is going to require your attention. It's going to require reflection. It's going to require prayer. It's going to require meditation. It's going to require questioning. It's going to require thinking. It's going to require reflecting on who you are on the inside. These are the very things our culture says You don't have time for all that stuff. We got more things to do. We have noise 24-7, do we not? We have distractions seven days a week. We have more things to do than we can get done, and a whole lot of it isn't worth doing, but we got to get it done now. And what we need is a one-on-one encounter with Jesus. But for some of us, we just don't have the time. I want to tell you a story found in Mark chapter 5. This is a strange story. Jesus interacts with this man who has lived among the tombs for years. He was known to be possessed by hundreds of demons. The story tells us that he was, the demons that he had within him gave him supernatural strength. Neither ropes nor chains could hold him. And day and night, he would cry like an animal, he would howl, he would cut himself. He was trying to find relief from the internal torture, and the people of the community just left him out there among the old abandoned graves, and he lived there. I want you to picture this man in your mind. No doubt, his beard had grown very long. His hair was matted and out to here, and he had cuts all over his body. He probably had no clothes on. He had dried blood all over his, his, his arms and his legs where he would cut himself. He hadn't bathed in months. Jesus, however, had no fear. And one day, this demon-diseased man noticed Jesus from a distance and ran toward him. And every time this man would run toward anyone, they would run away. They would flee. They would get away from this crazy man. But not Jesus. Jesus stood still. This man runs up to Jesus, falls at his feet, and Jesus asks the man a question. He says, what is your name? folks, if I were in that situation and this man ran up to me looking the way he did with the reputation that he had, screaming and hollering, and he runs to me possibly with chains dangling from his arms where he had been tried to have, you know, been bound before and blood all over his body and filthy and no clothes on, and he ran to me and fell down at my feet, I doubt I would have the wherewithal in that moment to say, what is your name? But every single thing in these stories are there for a reason. And Jesus looks at this man and says, what is your name? And the man looks up at Jesus and says, legion is my name, for we are many. Folks, there is so much insight and truth and hope and challenge and light and warmth and pain packed into this question and answer. You see, behind the scenes of this man's life were silent killers, a legion of enemies slowly destroying and eating him from the inside out. He didn't want to be the way he was. It's why when he noticed Jesus, he ran toward him. He didn't run away from him. He ran toward him and he cut himself. And when I read that, it, it, it really jarred me that so many people will cut their bodies even today in an attempt to, to, to feel something on the outside because they're so numb on the inside. And This man was exactly the same way. He was trying to create on the outside part of his body what was already happening on the inside of his soul. And some of you know exactly what it's like to cut yourself. And he looked at him and he said, what is your name? (sighs) If we could get to that part of who you are, we would know so much about you. I don't mean the name that people, that your mom and dad gave you. I don't mean the name that people call you at work or at school or here at the church. I'm talking about what's underneath the name, what's really true about you. If we knew the name you carried, if we knew the name that you really believe about yourself, we would know so much about why you do what you do. If we could get to who you really are underneath the layers and what you really believe who you are, who, who people think you are, so many answers would be provided. If we could get to the names you carry and why you carry them and who gave them to you, we would probably not wonder about why you do what you do. It would solve so much of the puzzle. If we could get to the legion inside you, the legion put there by your father, your mother, the kids in middle school, the high school sweetheart that broke your life apart, your first husband. If we could get to that person, we would finally know why you act the way you do. What is your name? Oh, I love that question. Many of you, if you were honest, you would say something like this. Well, my... my, People call me Scott, but my name is shame. People refer to me as Scott, but my name is actually hurt. My name is disappointment. My name is abuse. My name is loneliness. My name is rejection. That's what you live out of. You put the clothes on and the smile on and the makeup on and all the stuff on the name that your parents gave you, but you live out of the name that other people have given you and what you believe about yourself. See, what we do is simple, our behaviors. Why we do them is complicated. And until we deal with the why, we will never change the what. If you've been here for a while, you've seen me put this picture up before. I love it because it's a, a view of an iceberg that we rarely see. When you see an iceberg, you typically see just the top part, above the waterline. That's the image we have. That's the name that our parents gave us. That's how we present ourselves to people. It's how people interact with us and see us and all. and you know, It's the what part of our life. But look at what's underneath the waterline. That's the why part of our life. What we do is at the top. Why we do it is underneath the part people don't see. I bring this pick out occasionally because it puts into a picture what takes a long time to try to explain. What to do, or what we do I should say, most all of the energy and time and discussions and sermons and books are about the what. Here, buy this book, it'll tell you 10 ways to change the what. Here, I'm gonna do a whole sermon and give you, you know, three secrets to, do the, to change the what in your life. Rarely, however, is enough time given to the whys of our life. And if you change the why, the what automatically changes. So where should we be spending most of our time? In the why, but the why is hard. The why is deep. The why is heavy. The why is not glamorous. The why makes you open up closets that you closed years ago. The why makes you talk about your parents or your grandparents or your husband or your wife or your own self or your uncle or your family lineage or the lies you believe. The why opens up things that we have tried our best to absolutely hide. But if you really want to change the what, you got to deal with the why. The why is what matters most. Let's go to a story, 2 Samuel 12. I love this story. I don't love it because it's a beautiful story. I love it because it is a gripping, powerful expose of human nature. You've heard this story before, but maybe you haven't seen it from this angle. Let me set it up for you. David is king of Israel. He has within his context unlimited power, fame, and wealth. But he wants something he doesn't have. He wants Bathsheba, the wife of one of his commanders. So he sends for her. She is brought to his palace and he sexually assaults her. That's what happens. He's king, he's in power, he's in control, he sends for her, she really can't say no. She comes to his palace, he impregnates her. And what does he do? He has her husband Uriah murdered to cover his tracks. I don't think we can get any more ugly, any more sinister, any more horrible than this. And a couple of years go by and David is simply living his life He's doing what kings do. I don't think there's any way that he didn't know that what he did was wrong. David had a conscience. David had a heart. David followed after God. There's no way that he thought that what he did was okay in the eyes of God. He he would have to have been a sociopath not to realize that. Maybe he justified it. Maybe he excused it. I have no idea. I'm just guessing. But anyway, David goes on with his life as if nothing happened. And one day, a prophet by the name of Nathan comes by. And Nathan confronts David. But he does it in the most interesting and genius of ways. He tells David a story. That's it. And God uses the story to grab David's heart and rip it open. Here's the story. Nathan tells David about a wealthy and powerful landowner, a shrewd businessman who owned many hundreds, if not thousands, of sheep. And there was another man in the story that Nathan tells David. He's a poor man, and he only has one sheep. So in this story that Nathan tells David, you've got a wealthy man with thousands of sheep, and you've got a poor man with one sheep. But this poor man who owns this one sheep, this one sheep is not just any ordinary sheep. It's the only sheep he has, and the children love this sheep. In fact, the man raises the sheep with his children, and and he he feeds the sheep from his table, and he goes and fetches water from the well and gives it to his sheep. Basically, the sheep was the family's pet, and they loved the sheep. One day, a person comes to visit the wealthy man, and the wealthy man wants to feed his guest, but he doesn't want to take one of his thousands of sheep So what does he do? He sends someone to the poor man's house to take the pet sheep away from those children and from that family. And no doubt the children are crying and they're begging that this person would not remove the sheep. And he doesn't care. He wants that sheep and they bring that sheep to the wealthy man's home and the wealthy man slaughters the sheep and prepares it for food and feeds that pet sheep to his guests. David, when he hears this, he gets angry and he cries out and says, this man is evil. He should have been, he should be held responsible for taking the sheep from this poor man. He had no compassion, no mercy. He should pay this poor man seven times over for taking this man's sheep. And David looks, and Nathan looks at David and says, you're the man, David. David. You are the wealthy, powerful king. God gave you everything you could have ever wanted, yet, what did you do? You stole the one sheep from your commander Uriah, his wife, one. You brought her to your home. You destroyed her life. You killed her husband to cover your tracks. He is the poor man, she is the lone sheep. You are the wealthy, powerful man that messed it all up. Whew, what drama. And in that moment, David's heart is rent in two, and he realizes that he is guilty, and he is the one who's caused all this pain. And here's the thing I want you to see. The reason Nathan uses this approach with David is because what David had trouble seeing in himself was easy to see in another person. You want to take a deep dive here? hold your breath as we go under. If you are perceptive, if you are discerning, if you are aware, what you dislike in others says more about you than it says about others. You see, we hate in others what we often hate and ourselves, but we're often blind to it. We can detect it quickly in other people because we are so familiar with it. We've lived it. We hate it in them because we fear it in us. We subconsciously think that if we can conquer it in them, we will defeat it in us. I have noticed some of the loudest voices against particular sins are often the same sins the loudest voices struggle to overcome. I have watched preachers rail against their most hated sins in public when they themselves battled the exact same sin in private. Isn't it interesting about human nature? David couldn't see it in himself, but he could see it in the story. He could see it in somebody else. Often what you hate the most What you fight against the most, what you team up with others to defeat the most, is often an outward expression of an inward battle. Be careful, your strict morals will often betray you. What you hate the most in public is often what you love the most in private. You see, it's what lies beneath our lives, that controls our lives. It's what's hidden that produces what's seen. Our private secrets have the final say on our public stories. But it's getting to them, that's the challenge. Because we're not used to teaching like this. We're not used to lifting the hood and looking at the engine. We're not used to lifting the cellar door and seeing what's down in the basement. We're not used to ripping our hearts open and looking at the stuff on the inside because we're scared of it. So we would rather defeat it in somebody else than ever look at it in ourselves. We hide them. We disguise them. We defend them. We justify them. And sometimes we even use them to our advantage. But they are not our friends They are silent killers, and they do not love us. Maybe this will help. The silent killers lurk in the why part of our lives. You saw how I separated the why and the what and been talking about those. The silent killers live in that underneath part in the iceberg. They live in the why part. Let Let me define that for you a little bit. This will help. The silent killers do not live in the marital affair part. That's the what. That's the behavior. That's the symptom. The silent killers live underneath that in the I need more to make me happy part. And if we don't deal with that, we'll never take care of the what. The silent killers do not live in the substance abuse part. The alcohol, the drugs, the meds. That's not where they live. They live in the my life is not good and I need to escape it part. That's why I do what I do. They don't live in the quick temper part. We're always trying to take care of people's temper. That's the what. Where do they live? They live in the nobody understands me, I'm a victim, nobody respects me for who I am, and I'm angry at everybody. That's where they live. They don't live in the porn addiction part. That's the behavior. They live in the I feel inadequate and I need these girls, I need these guys to make me feel accepted. That's where they live. They don't live in the love them and leave them part. That's just what we see. They live in the I've been hurt so many times I don't trust anybody, so I will control the relationship from now on. That's where they live. On and on it goes. Those things live and thrive beneath. Those are the killers. Those are the silent assassins. Those are what we're dealing with throughout this series. And I know you can't wait to come back for more of it, right? But I want you to imagine. Imagine a community of people. A community of people so focused on their whys, so focused on their reasons, so focused on their characters, so focused on their hearts, so focused on their motives, they don't focus on the behaviors of other people. Imagine a church so filled with people who are just so thankful so thankful that they've been forgiven, so thankful that they've been loved, so thankful that they have stood underneath the faucet of God's mercy and grace, so thankful that they've been accepted into this bunch. They don't look down their noses at anybody else. Imagine a community so insightful, so, so, so gentle that they view other people as a reflection of themselves. And they love other people because they know that whatever's going on in their life is complicated. And I'm not in a position to judge what you do because I don't even know why you do it. I don't even know why I do what I do. Let's just hold hands and hug and love and sing and pray and encourage and hope together because we are more like Legion than we think we are. And they realize that what confuses them about others and what bothers them about others and what irks them about others and what they hate about others serves as mirrors to their own silent killers waiting to bring them down if they're not careful. One, one, one more brief story and then we're done. Okay? From, from Scripture. This comes from John 21. There's an exchange, and I want you to see this and feel it, the way that I saw it and felt it when I I was reading it. There's an exchange between Jesus and Peter. And this is after Peter denies Jesus. This is after Jesus is crucified. This is after Jesus is resurrected. This exchange happens almost at the very end of Jesus's time on the earth. Jesus interacts with Peter and restores Peter, because if you remember, he denied Jesus three times and Jesus comes back and restores him back. It's all this is happening at the end of John. After all of that, at the very end of the conversation, Jesus reveals to Peter that there will come a day when Peter will be killed for his faith. He'll be martyred. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, one day you're going to be led to a place that you don't want to go. You will stretch out your hands. You you will be killed. For your faith. And how does Peter respond? (laughs) This this is so like Peter. This is so like me. It's so like a. How does Peter respond to what Jesus just told him about him laying down his life for him one day? Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, looks at John, and says, What about him? I'm going to die? What about him? I'm going to give up my life for my faith? What about him? And Jesus says, if I want John to remain alive until I return, what difference does that make to you? You must follow me. Do you see how quickly we deflect attention off of ourselves onto others? Hey, Scott, I want to talk to you about your attitude, my attitude. What about her? I want to to talk to you about your your lack of generosity. My lack of generosity. Have you seen all those wealthy people that give nothing? Hey, I want to talk to you about your your pride, my pride. I think I'm pretty humble. His pride is terrible. Right? Right? Hey, I want to talk to you about that that thing in your life that you just allow to sit there and you know that it's not right. This little thing in my life, I promise you, this little thing in my life, God, is not messing up the world. Now, those people, they're messing up the world. You see? We so quickly deflect. We so quickly deflect. Jesus is always getting the, to the core of who we are. Why? Love. Love. Jesus did not run from the man among the tombs. Jesus did not cower from Legion. And he won't from you either. He will meet you in your dirt, he will run to you in your blood. He will meet you in your fear. He will meet you with your hair matted and your beard grown and blood all over your body. He will meet you where you are to heal you, to deliver you, to free you from those silent killers. He will make you whole. That's what we're talking about. Now let me lead you to him, okay? Father... We are so much more like Legion than we want to admit. We are so much more like him. I love the fact that you place those stories that are so crude and so ugly and so horrendous right there in your word forever so that we can read it and see that we are often so much like that. So many silent killers in our life. So many names that other people have given to us. So many times people run away from us and reject us and push us away and we feel like we're living on the margins of society. But you will meet us right where we are. So Father, my prayer is today that you will speak to us as you spoke to Legion. You will speak to us as you spoke through Nathan to David. You will speak to us as you spoke to Peter On that shoreline when he wanted to deflect to John, that you will teach us about ourselves and teach us about your grace and teach us about your mercy and draw us to you and bring freedom and bring hope and bring healing and bring life and bring mercy and bring grace that we freely receive it and we freely give it to the people around us. And we ask these things in the name that makes all of it possible, Jesus
1: so um, before you leave I just have a couple announcements to give you Um, if you are new at Forest Park you can fill out the connect card that we have in the back of the seat back in front of you Um, it's a little white card that says you're new Um, just ask a few questions just to say you know who are you what's your phone number we don't ask for anything too crazy um, and then you can put, take that to the table on the lobby that says new here. And I can give you a gift just to say thank you for joining us today. Um, you can also fill out one by scanning this QR code. Because um, sometimes he's going to hate that I said this. I hope he's not listening. Pastor Scott. Um, sometimes he can't read your handwriting <laughs> when you turn in a physical copy. So he's like, guys, we really need to ask people. Can they fill out the digital copy? Because I really want to be able to contact them and just say thank you for coming. So, if you are new, the digital copy is the way to go. Um, next, oh, I think that was him. Um, next, we have baptism Sunday. It's coming up on November twelfth. So, if you want to sign up to be baptized, you can go to fplive.org/baptism, or you can go to that same new here area. They can give you. A paper copy to sign up on um, it's a great thing for you to be aware of coming up and it's going to happen right in the lobby after the second service we'll do all the baptisms at one time and then last but not least we have night of worship november 18th it is at um, 7 p.m the doors open at six thirty. so what i suggest you do you know take us for what it is what i suggest you do is go to dinner with your family your friends your neighbors your kids whatever, whoever, take them to dinner and then bring them tonight to worship. It's going to be a time, an hour and a half or hour 15 minutes full of worship, communion, prayer. It's just going to be a great time. We've got some new songs that we're really excited about. So um, just come out and join us. It's going to be wonderful. So guys, I hope you have a great week and thanks for being here. See you next time.